0: I think that I have heard every sermon that Pastor Tim has preached for the last, uh, well, it's coming on two years. I don't think I've missed any. I listen to him every Sunday if I'm out preaching, and I listen to it Monday. And uh, I have one thought, and it was on me forcibly last Sunday morning. I'm so glad Tim is here. I don't know if anybody else on the planet that New York needs more. The kind of preaching, the kind of preaching that he does. Uh, we just sang, Revive Us Again. It's my view that that's the kind of preaching that God has raised up Tim Delaney to do is what you expect in times of revival, and that's what we long for. Anyway. I'm led this time to the book of Acts, and so I want to read to you from Acts chapter 3. I want to speak on the subject, the strategy of the Holy Spirit. So beginning verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that would have been three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom he had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Since Peter and John, seeing Peter and John about to enter the temple, seeing Peter and John to go, he asked to receive alms. walk. And he took him by the hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him. As the same one who had sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Spirit to rest upon every person here in order that their perception of what I say will be received as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be clear, simple, May this be a life-changing word and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The message that I feel led to bring was born some years ago when I was at the temple gate right that I've just read about in Jerusalem. And the question came up, Why didn't Jesus heal this man? Have you ever wondered why Jesus did not heal him? You've got to know that he walked by him many times. If you go into the temple, that's the way you go. And this 40-year-old man was a household name, a permanent fixture in Jerusalem. Everybody knew him. And uh, I think of the view of some You say, well, if Jesus comes to your house, he's going to heal you. Really? Jesus walked right by this man. Not just in recent years, but you see, he would come from uh, Nazareth to Jerusalem to keep the feast three times a year. And Jesus walked right by him. And now, suddenly, here is Peter and John, and they heal him. Well, why them? And by the way, why didn't they heal him before? Because since Pentecost, uh, they would have passed by him several times. You would have thought it would be the most obvious. Now, we know this from John five nineteen: that the son does nothing by himself. He only does what the father does. It may surprise you, but Jesus was not his own man. He said it. The Son can only do what the Father does. And, and so what Jesus saw the Father do, and that's what he did. I wonder, I wonder if maybe as Jesus would pass by this crippled man, if he would say, oh, I'm going to heal him. And I wonder if the Father just said to him, I'm saving him for Peter and John. <laughs> I don't know that. I only know that Jesus was not allowed to heal him. Now I want to speak to you on a certain aspect of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you three things that I think come out of this passage. The first, I call it the sovereignty of the Spirit. What is that? Well, the sovereignty of the Spirit is that the Holy Spirit mirrors the sovereignty of God, one of the most forgotten passages in the Bible repeated in John 9, 15. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And someone said, oh, that's Old Testament. Paul quoted it, Romans 9:15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. You see, I, I think this is a message that needs to be heard. It's the idea that we can make God do things. We can twist God's arm. We can claim promises and say he's gotta do this. Not so with the God of the Bible. And so, we know this about the Holy Spirit. You take John chapter three, verse eight. Right after Jesus had said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, a verse that Pastor Tim quotes every Sunday, there's a verse that follows. And Jesus went on to say, the wind blows, where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And that's a way of saying that a conversion is not an accident. There's no accidental conversions by the Holy Spirit. It's what the Spirit does, and he mirrors the sovereignty of God. Now. We're told by Jesus that when the Holy Spirit comes, uh, he would take, uh, he would send another comforter, and there would be somebody to take Jesus' place. And When Jesus said to the disciples, I'm going to go away, the more he talked about the Holy Spirit, the less they enjoyed it. And because they said, well, we want you. We don't want another. Oh, says Jesus, this is to your advantage, you will understand this at at some time. So what we have here is in the same way that Jesus was not his own man. He only did what the Father orchestrated. Likewise, the Holy Spirit only does what the Father says. So there's no division in the Trinity. You don't have a case where the Holy Spirit says, I wanna do this and Jesus said, no, 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 let's do this. No. Perfect unity. And so the Holy Spirit mirrors the will of the Father, the sovereignty of the Spirit. So here comes Peter and John. They're walking by the temple, and something happens. Suddenly, the Spirit says, Stop. I want to heal this man. And Peter and John equally, simultaneously knew that they should stop. They're on their way to a prayer meeting. They're supposed to be there at 3 o'clock. And it could be that some people would say, we can't stop here, we've got to be on time for the prayer meeting. Uh, What if John says, no, Peter, you stay, I'll just go. Because we don't need to be at the prayer meeting, No. Simultaneously, together, they stopped. Now, here's what I want to know. How did they know to stop? What's going on? What's happening? Jesus went by many times. They had gone by many times. Suddenly, the Spirit says, stop. I want to bring now another aspect of the Holy Spirit. Having looked briefly at the sovereignty of the Spirit, I want to talk about the sensitivity of the Spirit. I wrote a book uh, many years ago called The Sensitivity of the Spirit. Many people misquote it. They call it sensitivity to the Spirit. And it comes to that. But the point that I have wanted to make is that the person of the Holy Spirit is very sensitive. I actually wanted to call the book the hypersensitivity of the spirit. The publisher talked me out of it, said, well, people won't know what you mean by that, and I accepted that it wasn't the best title, but that's the point. Now, when we refer to somebody as being hypersensitive, it's not a compliment. We say, so-and-so, you have to walk on eggshells around that person, Uh, very, very sensitive. Well, listen. That's the way the Holy Spirit is. You say, well, he ought not be like that. But that's the way he is, so get over it. He's the only Holy Spirit you've got. And it's part of his personality. It's part of the way God is. Because the Holy Spirit is God. He's sensitive. Now, how is this revealed? Well, you take... uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, Paul says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the word grieve comes from a Greek word that means get your feelings hurt. And so, what we learn, that the Holy Spirit is very, very sensitive and He gets His feelings hurt. Well, how on earth could that be? Well, perhaps you know that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is uh, likened as a dove. Uh, for example, in, in John chapter 1, uh, we find John the Baptist saying this about the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he said something that perhaps you know very well. He said, I saw the dove come down. The Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. And he says it again. This is John chapter one, verse 33. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain. Now, you probably know about the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove. Uh, The dove at the natural level is a very shy bird. You might also know, perhaps some of you do know, that doves and pigeons anatomically are exactly the same. There's no difference. Um, A pigeon is a fat dove. If you cut them open, they're the same. The gallbladder, spines, everything, just exactly the like. But yet, there are big differences between pigeons and doves. You can train a pigeon. You cannot train a dove. A pigeon is boisterous, a dove is gentle, and uh, some of us don't know the difference between a pigeon and a dove, and I regard the dove as the authentic symbol of the Holy Spirit. I would say the pigeon is the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I think you may have heard people say, oh, you should have been church Sunday. The Holy Ghost came down. Oh, oh, you should have been there. And you get to the bottom of it, and it was probably pigeon religion. <laughs> there are those who are just impressed by noise or whatever. Well, what we know is that the dove came down on Jesus, and it, it says it twice. You probably noticed that the term the dove. I wonder if you noticed that he remained. Why? Well, let's put it this way. As I said, you can train a pigeon. I've got a picture of, of T.R. when he was seven years old in Trafalgar Square in London. And uh, it's a picture where he's feeding the pigeons. He's, I've got, he's got four pigeons on each arm and two on his head and he thought he had gone to heaven. He couldn't get over these pigeons all around him. It's easy to do, the birdseed brings them. You couldn't get a dove to come within a a mile of Trafalgar Square, it's too noisy. But the pigeons are at home. Well, what does it say about Jesus? When the Holy Spirit came down on Jesus, he remained. He stayed. Now, I hope you will understand what I mean when I say I know what it is for the Holy Spirit to come down. There are times when, whether in church or at home in private, when the Spirit comes down and there is no way to describe it. God is so real. And you say, Lord, please stay. Please don't leave, don't leave. Oh, I'll never doubt you again after this. Lord, I just love you the way you are. Please stay, please stay. But for some reason, it seemed like the dove flies away. You notice that hours later, you think, What's happened? I I don't feel like I did. Uh, Maybe it was when you were driving down the highway, and somebody in front of you going so slow, and you roll down the window and say, hey, what's the matter with you? The dove just flew away. You're in a supermarket, and uh, you're in a hurry, and there's the cash register. It's just in front of you is an, an old lady counting her change, and you go, oh. You wanted her to hear you? She did. But so did the dove, he just flew away. (laughs) You see, would you believe me if I told you, you may need time to absorb this, but the easiest thing in the world to do is to grieve the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that's not fair. I'm telling you, I was preaching in uh, Florence, Alabama. And just as the pastor and I were walking into the pulpit, he stopped and asked me a question. He said, What has a veteran like you got to say to a young whippersnapper like me? And I thought, I'll tell you. Find out what grieves the Holy Spirit and don't do that. You got your work cut out for you. Because. It's so easy to grieve him. If you want to know what grieves him, well, the chief way, if I'm to believe the apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter four, verse 30, he says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And guess what he says, first of all, he says, let all bitterness and anger be put away from you. Uh, It's so easy. Like you you, uh, lose your temper, or you hold a grudge. It goes on to say, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, here's the here's the bad news. He won't bend the rules for anybody. You may say, I've been a Christian for years. I can tell you now, I've been a Christian for over 65 years. He won't bend the rules for me. I can tell you, when I grieve the Spirit, I know it. And God can be rugged and ruthless with me until I get sorted out. Well, what is my point? You can have the Holy Spirit in you but he be grieved. Now, you don't ever lose the spirit, because Jesus said when he comes, he'll abide forever. But what does happen is the sense of his presence, and I use it as a metaphor, the dove just flying away. And when he flies away, you're back to yourself, and you think, what did I do? Now, maybe nothing, God is sovereign, he just might decide to leave, so don't uh, have a guilt trip because we've all experienced this. But I know this, that when I'm angry and bitter, I can't read my Bible and understand it. I pray, my mind wanders. When the Spirit of God comes down, the dove, the letters just leap out at you like gold. The same passage that you've read many times, suddenly the meaning is there. And so when the spirit comes down, he's ungrieved. So the Holy Spirit in you can be grieved, and you lose the sense of anointing. But he's ungrieved, he's just being himself. And so here's what we learn about Jesus. He never, ever grieved the Holy Spirit. So when the dove came down on Jesus, he said... Oh, I like it here. I'm going to stay. And we're told that he remained. The Holy Spirit never flew away. The dove never flew away. He remained. And Jesus had all of the Holy Spirit there is. He had the Holy Spirit without measure, ungrieved. You and I have the Spirit in measure. We have a measure of faith. Jesus had the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, ungrieved without any limit. And that is an explanation for His miracles and what He does. Well, now, you and I have a duty not to grieve the Holy Spirit, because He won't bend the rules for any of us. And so, we pick up the story, Peter and John. They had gone by that many times. Had they had an argument with their wives before they came, they would have made it to the prayer meeting at 3 o'clock without any trouble. But because in each of them was the Holy Spirit ungrieved, and he was just totally himself, he could say anything he wanted to Peter and John, and they they wouldn't miss it. I'm afraid he speaks to some of us, we miss it. We miss it. But with Peter and John, they're full of the Holy Spirit. And as they're walking toward the temple, the Spirit says, stop, stop. They stop. Peter says to this crippled man, look at us. Now, what if John had stopped and said, Peter, why are you the one that has to say, look at us? Why can't I say it once in a while? The whole thing had been called off, they'd made it to the prayer meeting on time. But you see, there was no rivalry. And this is the thing, the Holy Spirit ungrieved in me will recognize the Holy Spirit ungrieved in you, Pat, Chooks, Timothy. And so we're having fellowship and we're just enjoying, you know, it's just lovely. When, when you have that kind of fellowship, the Holy Spirit in us ungrieved. And then sometimes a person can walk up and just say, you know what's wrong with this church, don't you? And We look at each other and we think, oh, no. It just takes one person to mess things up. When Paul talks about the unity of the Spirit, it means that all of us are enjoying the Holy Spirit ungrieved in us ungrieved, what would it be like if Times Square Church, every person present, no bitterness, no unforgiveness, no trying to get even with one another or prove a point, but we're just enjoying his presence. You know, what I could wish it as as a legacy, is that I could teach you this, you accept it, and the result would be that everybody would just be determined not to grieve the Spirit. It can happen on the way to church, you lose your keys, and you argue with each other uh, because the devil will always look for entrance to try to get in, and you come to church and you're all upset, you see. It, it begins at home. It begins before you get here. You know, most churches I know want to get uh, everybody to come to their church. The goal should rather be if all of us are ungrieved, that way the Holy Spirit could come down on all of us and everybody would want to come in to see what's going on. Unity of the Spirit. You see, that's what they had on the day of Pentecost when they are one accord. Peter and John were at one accord. Well, so much for the sovereignty of the Spirit, so much for the sensitivity of the Spirit, but what is the point? Is there a strategy? Oh, yes. What's the word strategy mean? Well, it means a plan, a purpose. And so, there was an angle. Why didn't Jesus heal that crippled man? Why hadn't the disciples? I can tell you why. God wanted to give the Jerusalem church a platform. And the choice would be for somebody to be healed that everybody recognized. It could have happened at Pentecost, but it didn't. You see, the Jerusalem church was not as large as you may have thought. You say, well, they had 3,000 converted the day of Pentecost. But wait a minute. Most of those had come from 20 countries, different languages. That's why they recognized each other's language. And they went back. Many converted. And the remnant that were in Jerusalem would be dozens or maybe a few hundred, but not that many of the 3,000. And so the Jerusalem church was small. And they were struggling. We, you can discover it in the book of James. They were needing help. And one thing that would help is if they had a platform, a platform whereby they would be heard. And God gave them a platform. And so here's a man who is healed. And everybody knows about it. In fact, if I could just keep reading, I stopped at one point, but then. in... He was clinging now to Peter and John. All the people utterly astounded, and you see there was no internet, there were no televisions, and yet the word was going all over the place. And, and they came, ran together, and, and they came to the Solomon's porch. And when Peter saw it, he thought, here, here, I've got the platform. Because everybody came running, what's going on? We know about this man, what's happening? Let me tell you what Peter doesn't do. He doesn't say, well, see there? Now you know we got it right. Or what he doesn't say, "Uh, bring your sick people to me and I will pray for you. Or he doesn't say, I will pray for you. You know what he does, his strategy? He preaches the gospel. That was the strategy to give the early church a platform. And so he says to them, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? And why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? See, this is the difference between so many today. Call attention to themselves. Peter says, no, it's not us, it's not us. What it is, the God of Abraham, The God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to let him go. And so from there, Peter just preaches the gospel. They have a platform that they wouldn't have had any other way. Just remember this, the Holy Spirit always has a plan. He always has a strategy. He follows God the Father who has a plan for each of us. And when he is in us ungrieved, when there's no pointing of the finger, when there's no bitterness accusing one another, but rather you just enjoy his presence, you're not wanting to get glory. There's no rival spirit. God is sovereign. God is real. And what happens is the gospel is preached. We made a vow at Westminster Chapel years before I retired that if God blessed us with numbers, we would never take advantage of it. for trying to draw attention to ourselves. We made a vow. 300 of us stood in a big circle around Westminster Chapel. God, if you will come, we will promise We would just preach the gospel. I wish I could say revival came. It was my heart cry, the great disappointment of my life. God passed us by for whatever reason. But I'm still alive. And I've had a vision years ago to see God work. And I mean working big time. And I cannot help but hope that where we are is the most needed place in the world. Where we are is where the gospel is needed more than any place in the world. Where we are is where preaching needs to come forth without compromise, without trying to please people. And when this happens, it just may, it just may be that the Spirit of God will come down. But it requires that not what you are when you come to church, But as Pastor Tim says, which you are Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, when everyone wants the Holy Spirit ungrieved, and that way the unity of the Spirit will come. The Spirit will come down. This is what we long for, the gospel. You see, that's what matters. That's why Jesus died on the cross. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. I hope to write a book. If God lets me. I want to call it "The Big Elephant." You know the expression "the elephant in the room"? Everybody notices, but nobody says a word. You know the big elephant. To you, whoever you are, you are going to die. You don't want to talk about it. Movie star, politician, billionaire, you're going to die. No one wants to talk about it. And this is the reason for the gospel. You say, well, Christianity is about your life. Listen, you're not ready to live until you're ready to die. So i ask you this question. Do you, whoever you are, know for sure That if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? I ask you. And if you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Do you realize the kindest question anybody can ever ask you? You may be insulted by it, you may be offended, but it's the kindest question. Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? The big elephant, we don't wanna talk about death. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto men once to die. And after death a judgment, you're gonna stand before him. What would you say to God? Why should he let you in? Does something come to your mind? Well, if I were standing before God, I would uh, say this, what would you say? Well, let me fast forward to this point. If it doesn't come to your mind already to say, because Jesus died for me, if that doesn't come to your mind, something wrong. I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world, but that can all change. This is the purpose. This is the strategy of my being here right now. I can lead you in a prayer. You can pray it right there. You don't need to say it out loud. Say it in your heart because God will see you. And if you're sincere, I would just urge you to pray right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash away my sins by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit to come into my heart. And as best as I know how, I give you my life. That's the prayer. Did you pray that prayer? I have a feeling that somebody did. I have one question. Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? You say, well, why do you ask, R.T.? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. And what I want to ask you to do right now, you may have never dreamed of anything like this, but if you're not ashamed, You prayed that prayer, you have a way of confessing him. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. But if you prayed that prayer, even if it's only one person, don't look around and see if anyone else stands because if they do, you will. If you prayed that prayer, in the next 10 seconds, I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, stand to your feet. You say in front of all these people, yes. Five. Four, three, two, one. If you prayed that prayer, stand to your feet. <laughs> Remain standing. Remain standing. Anybody else? I can't really tell from here how many. Look here. Stay where you are. Now, you that stood, it could be that this was a rededication. It could be this is a Renewal. But if you never prayed a prayer like that before and stood to confess Christ, you know what just happened to you? You just became born again. Happy birthday.